So uh, if you have your Bibles, find your way to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we'll be at this morning. And I just have to say, like, that this message isn't for anybody else, it's for me. Um, the title of this message is, is called Rejoice. Um, rejoice. Uh, I've, had a, I've had a pretty, it's been a pretty rough couple, couple weeks for sure. And uh, to think about it, like, just the holidays and all that stuff anyways, I don't really much care for them a lot, uh, you know, as far as, as Thanksgiving's concerned. And so it's been a struggle. Um, I've just been down in the dumps, to tell you the truth. I'm not feeling all that all that great, and I think I can be transparent as your pastor and say that, that sometimes you just don't feel 100, you know. So if this message isn't for anybody else, I know it's for me, because Lord knows I need to, to rejoice. And what we'll be talking about in First Peter is rejoicing in the assurance of our salvation. There's nothing more joyful than knowing that you've been saved, that you've been bought, that you've been delivered um, and that he has um, heaven in store for you. So if you found your place to, to 1 Peter chapter 1, you can stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Beginning in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You can be seated. I initially intended to preach chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, but I'm going to preach 3 through 9. Uh, well, mainly 3 through 7. We'll touch on 8 and 9 a little bit. Um, so, First Peter, we, we find this being written in about A.D. 64, and he's writing to the early Christians who's been exiled and dispersed in, in fiery persecution. Um, and, and even in, in, in First Peter, we see Peter writing to these Christians and calling them aliens. Um, they're standing out, they're pilgrims, standing out from, from the world around them. And during this time of persecution, what's happening is that the rage of Nero, the emperor of Rome, is beginning to, to really heat up. This rage against Christianity is warming up and the onslaught's coming. And Peter writes this epistle to remind these elect exiles to continue to live well and to continue to rejoice and worship to despite their current persecutions. I know a guy, he's, my, he's probably my top, he's in my top five of a favorite preacher, favorite pastor. His name is Russ Davidson. Uh, he's, he actually preached in, in Salem, Missouri, where I'm from, for, for quite a while at First Baptist Salem. But I met him at Crossway Baptist Church, my, my sending church from Springfield. And, and, and Russ Davison is probably the most happiest, joyful, awesome guy I've ever met in my life. It doesn't matter what's going on. He's got a smile on his face, and he wants you to feel the joy and, and the love of Jesus Christ as well. And he has this saying that he says, and I've kind of hijacked it from him a little bit. So if you ever hear me say this, he says, keep the sun in your eyes. Keep the S-O-N in your eyes. Why would he say that? Because when we keep the sun in our eyes, the S-O-N in our eyes, everything's going to be all right and we'll be able to rejoice no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're facing, because Jesus is far more valuable, far more supreme than anything that's going on around us. So when we keep the sun in our eyes, everything is going to be all right. And so today as we survey this text... I, like Peter, desire for us to see that we can rejoice no matter what our present circumstances are. And in this text, we're going to see three main observations uh, for rejoicing in the middle of the flame. So let's, we've already read the text, but let's figure out what, what they are. The first point that I have is we can rejoice today despite our circumstances, number one, because we have a living hope. Look there at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed. 
And this form of the word blessed is distinct from all other uses of the form of, or, or of the word blessed in the New Testament. We find in the Beatitudes, we see Jesus saying things like, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We see him saying, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. We see him saying, blessed, 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 over and over again. And what that means, it, 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 it's the... That form of the word blessed, it means happy. It means favored by God. Uh, that's not the case with this word blessed here in First Peter. In verse 3, this word is only used of God. It means to speak well of. It means to celebrate by, pra- by praising. It's, it's used only of God, signifying that the Godhead alone, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit alone is worthy of our entire devotion, our entire commitment, our entire praise. So what Peter's saying here is praise God. Highest praise belongs to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now why? Because according to to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead those are powerful powerful words aren't they I just want to read it again because according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to dive into those, but before we examine those words, I kind of want to track back a little bit and look at the title that's given to our Lord Jesus Christ here. Peter calls him Lord Jesus Christ. Now that word Lord is, is master. It's, it's, it's sovereign king. It's a, a person that, that exercises absolute ownership rights over everything else. And then we have Jesus, which in Hebrew is Yeshua, and it means God saves in Christ, which is translated from, uh, um, from Hebrew to, to Greek. Is, it means the anointed one. It's the Messiah. It's the one chosen by God. So Peter's literally saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Master, of the one who owns and rules over everything and over everyone in the universe, of the God who came to save his people, of the one whom was anointed and chosen by God to suffer at the hands of sinners and to die in our place. So don't miss this. Peter's doing something very amazing here. Peter is magnifying God. He's lifting him high. He's giving credit to whom credit is due. He's pointing to the ultimate source of our living hope and of our being born again. So read the text again and again and again. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Man, I hope if we don't walk out of here with anything else, we walk out of here with that scripture memorized. According to... To his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are born again and we're given this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ because of his great mercy. Whose great mercy, you ask? The God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the mercy of the creator of the universe that saves the sinner from death. In his holy compassion over the fallen state of creation, his, his mercy is found. In God's eternal and infallible plan to redeem a people from sin and death, his mercy is found. In John 3.16, his mercy is found. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son reveals the mercy of God. And we see in this passage that love moves first, and it's because of his mercy that we're born again. So pay pay close attention to the words here in verse 3. He has caused us to be born again. You understand God is responsible for both the regeneration and the salvation that encompasses being born again. And you say, regeneration, what is that? That's a huge, like, $20 word. I don't quite understand that. And I'll be able to give you a better picture here. Nicodemus, for instance, he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night, right? Because he's a Pharisee. He don't want nobody to know that he's scoping out the teacher. He knows that he has eternal life. But he comes to Jesus and he says these things. He says, hey, you know, uh, he, he confronts him and Jesus answers him. Let me, let me get jump to it. Man, I just lost my train of thought, but it's okay. We'll jump right there to John chapter 3. If you got it, you can turn there. Um, but he says... 
I thought I had that picked out. John chapter 3. He comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. In verse 8 of chapter 3 of John, he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus says, I thought you was a teacher. You call yourself a teacher and you don't understand this? Aren't you familiar with Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 25 through 27 where he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you in verse 26 and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit and a new spirit and I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so when you say, what is regeneration, that $20 word, that's regeneration. So do you see that? It's a cleansing. It's, it's, it's getting a new heart. It's, it's God literally replacing your heart of flesh or your heart of, of stone that's cold and dead and unwilling to beat to the rhythm of His will. And He places in you a heart of flesh that beats according to His will. He gives you this new heart and He puts His Spirit within you at salvation causing you to be able to walk in his statutes and obey his rules so regeneration and salvation happen simultaneously at the same time so to be born again as he's saying here in chapter 3 is to be born from above it's a work from God and for instance what part of you know being born did you have you know did, did you decide that you was going to be born No, absolutely not. So what part of it did you have? You didn't have a part in it. It happened. Same is true here. To be born again is to be born from above. It's a work from God, and it's nothing nothing short of a miracle. Because you see, just like Nicodemus, Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the middle of the night because he doesn't want anybody to see him demonstrates the fact that he has this cold, dead heart. And he comes to Jesus and he is in desperate need of a change of heart. He's in desperate need for this heart of stone to be removed and a heart of flesh to be put in it, a spirit to be placed within him, the Holy Spirit, that would walk according to God's statutes and obey his rules. Before we came to faith, In Jesus, we all had hearts that were so hardened by sin that they couldn't be softened. We're unable to change the reckless cycle of our lives alone. We were all dead in our sins and trespasses. We were all desperate need to be washed clean, given a new heart, and to be set free. And as I said, this is an effort that we cannot achieve on our own. It's impossible. If you are a born-again Christian, it's because God the Father has drawn you out of sin into the arms of Jesus. It's because God uh, God the Son has washed you clean by His blood. And it's because God the Holy Spirit has come Come and giving you a new heart, causing you to obey Him. And in, uh, in it is, the, is this process of regeneration that we're talking about. And it is in this process of regeneration that we believe the glorious gospel, exercising faith given to us by God, and we're saved and we're born again. It's by the mercy of God that we're set free. It's by the mercy of God that we're redeemed. It's by the mercy of God that we're no longer slaves to sin. It's by the mercy of God that causes us to be born again, to a living hope, to an active hope, to a hope that's not dead, a confident hope, a sure hope, because we know He raised Jesus from the dead. Amen? It's in our white blood cells. I heard a pastor tell me this this last week. He said, I know this, that I know this, that I know this, that it's just gotten down into my white blood cells. It's, It's part of my DNA. It's who I am. Without the resurrection the death the life death and resurrection of jesus christ i am nothing is what he said and this is true we have this hope because we know that we know that we know that he raised jesus from the dead the resurrection of jesus christ is the most important aspect 
of our Christian lives. And why is that? Because without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no hope. If if God didn't raise Jesus from the dead, then all that Jesus said would be null and void. Amen? That's why every cross that you see of a Protestant faith doesn't have Jesus on the cross. Because God raised him from the dead. He's no longer there. And if Jesus didn't resurrect, he'd be no different than Muhammad. He'd be no different than Buddha. He'd be no different than Joseph Smith, the, the Mormon uh, uh, leader, and, and any other religious figure that you can think of. Because if you go and look at their tombs, if you go and look in their graves, they're still there. And Jesus isn't in the grave because he rose again. He taught for 40 days and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he's coming back. So you know how I know that Christianity is the real deal? Because Jesus is alive. Because he's alive and he's coming back. You know how I know that I know that this word of God is true? It's because Jesus is alive and everything that was prophesied from the beginning of Genesis to the, all the way to the end of Revelation is coming true or has came true. No, I know that I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus bearing his image because Jesus was resurrected and he promised to resurrect our dead bodies as well. He's going to give me a new body, a body that can withstand eternity with God. You have to understand that. The Bible clearly says that nobody can see his presence and live. You guys understand that, right? No sin can stand in the presence of God. So he gets rid of our sinful, corrupted flesh, and he gives us a new body that's able to, a glorified body that's able to withstand the presence of God for all of eternity. Isn't that amazing? To think at what he's doing. Man. This is my living hope. Because Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So let us remember that today in our state that we're in. No matter what's going on. No matter how we feel. Let us remember that today. Let us remember that tomorrow. Let us remember that for 20 years. Let us remember that for eternity around the throne. Let us remember that according to His great mercy, the mercy of the Creator God of the universe, who needed nothing, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Rejoice. This hope is not dead. It's not fragile. No, it's active. It's sure. It's steady. It's true. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. And what is that hope? We can rejoice today despite our uh, present circumstances. Number two, because our inheritance is imperishable. Look, fix your eyes there on verse four with me in 1 Peter. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. When people die... Sometimes if they have kids or grandkids or nieces or uncles or maybe a cool neighbor down the street, when they die, they will oftentimes, if they have a, an estate, if they have some money, if they have something, they leave behind this inheritance, right? These earthly possessions. It could be a really nice 78 Ford F-250. I'm talking this thing's the bells. Uh, it's got all the bells and whistles to it. It's the cat's pajamas. It could be a 57 Chevy. It could be 200 acres of prime whitetail hunting land. I mean, it could be any of those things you obviously tell what i'm concerned about you know if i got an earthly inheritance if i can't hunt on it drive it or fish it i don't want it you know what i'm saying but but i want to remind you that all of these earthly inheritances they'll rust that 78 ford's going to break down eventually the 57 chevy's going to break down before the ford (laughs) it's going to rust out on the rocker panels it's going to decay it's going to fall apart the whitetail are going to be burnt up. The trees are going to get burnt up. All of that stuff's going to pass and fade. It won't last forever. However, the glory of the Lord will. 
And so that's what we're getting to. Is for those of us who are in Christ, that's not the case with our inheritance. It won't burn up. It won't rust. It won't decay. Our inheritance is heavenly and it's eternal and it's kept in heaven for us. And in Psalm 16 and verses 5 through 6 says that the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You understand that, that God is our inheritance. He is what we get. And, and God is eternal he is imperishable he cannot be defiled he he cannot decay he lives forever he always has been and he always will be there's no beginning or end to the alpha or the omega and that is our inheritance is a land with with god and the son the eternal never-ending all-sustaining god of the universe is our inheritance what more do we want than that how does it get any better than that I told you this was for me today. You can preach yourself out of darkness. You know that? That's just a side note. You can preach yourself out of a bad attitude, out of your present circumstances. You just got to preach Christ. Everything He wills, everything that comes to pass, everything that He gives us is beautiful, it's pleasant. In Revelation 21, my favorite chapter of the whole Bible. Gives us some great insight to that. In 1 through 7, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. I'm going to say that again. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as the their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. In verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. In verse 7, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. That's our inheritance. It's God. It's His Son, Jesus Christ. It's a place where there's no more crying and no more weeping and no more pain and no more sickness. Our inheritance is the Alpha and the Omega. Our inheritance is to be sons and daughters of the God who's going to dwell with us. Our inheritance is drinking freely from the spring of the water of life. Our inheritance is a new heaven and a new earth with our King where there's no more sin, no more darkness, and no more decay. Where there's no more tears and no more death and no more mourning and no more pain and no more divorce and no more brokenness and, and no, more, no more addiction and no more mental health sicknesses and, and no more struggling but just wonderful glory glorious worship it's our inheritance it doesn't get any better than that does this not tug at your heart it's not long make you long for the day like man i just want to go now get me there now but i know i got work to do here i know we all got work to do here that's why we're still here but it tugs at my heart it causes me to leap for joy to consider what our perfect inheritance is going to be like and we we only get a glimpse of it. Honestly, we only, we only understand just a small fraction of what it's going to be like. Most of it's symbolic that he's writing out anyways in the book of Revelation. It's going to be awesome. It's like 10,000 years of worshiping God is never going to get old. It's going to feel like one day. And then in the next 10,000 years, he's going to blow our minds again. And we're just going to be there for 10,000 years like, whoa, oh my goodness fallen on our face great are you lord holy 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 lord god almighty thank you for your faithfulness thank you for your plan it's just going to be years and years and years and the best thing you've ever experienced and that's what's waiting for you if you are a christian in the meantime until we get there because you know i can't wait to get there it's kind of like paul saying right you know like 
uh, you know, I'm kind of stuck between the two. I, I really, I know I got to be here for your sake, but I really want to go to the Lord. And so if I can get this guy to cut my head off, that's going to be even better for me. But however, I know that I got to be here, right? And it's going to work out for my deliverance. Yeah, I got some work to do with you guys. But in the meantime, no matter what we go through, we can still rejoice in this inheritance. No matter what we go through, we can, we can rejoice because we have assurance that God's word is faithful and it's true. God's a covenant-keeping God. He's a faithful, promise-keeping God. If I had time, I'd walk you through five major covenants of the Bible, how God has kept his promise uh, from Genesis 3.15 to Revelation 22. How he's kept this redemption plan. He's a covenant-keeping, faithful God. So how can we know that we're going to receive this inheritance of Revelation 21? In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, he says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed. We're sealed. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. We're sealed. I don't know if I got this. If I hit it twice, it doesn't matter. But back in the day, you would have the, the king or, the, messenger, or the, the person sending the letter would have a signet ring. It would have his, his mark, his seal, his signet on there, right? And they would take this envelope, more or less, and, or the, the scroll, they'd roll it up and they'd pour a glob of wax on it and he would seal that with his ring or with the signet stamp. And that showed that this message that was being delivered from this person carrying the message to the person who was supposed to receive it, the seal was not broken until it got there it was delivered safely unharmed and it was not opened it was not it was not read or any of those things right the seal was not to be broken except for the one who was supposed to receive it likewise the holy spirit seals us delivering us to god to the father to heaven where we're going to worship the king of kings and the lord of lords the alpha and the omega him breaking the seal open and receiving what was his so it's in the same sense as when he's saying we were sealed with him in the holy spirit with the promised holy spirit Ephesians 1 points out that we, we heard the word of truth, that we believed the gospel of our salvation, believed in Jesus, and that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And Peter goes on to write in verses 8 through 9, the part that I told you I'd touch on just a little bit. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. In verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Though we cannot and though we have not seen Jesus, we believe in him. Though we cannot see Jesus, we love him. John MacArthur said that faith and love marks us as saved and it proves that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and that we will obtain this beautiful inheritance. You see, the assurance uh, of salvation brings great joy. We can know that we're saved. The assurance of salvation brings great joy. We can know that we're saved. We should know that we've been bought, sealed, delivered, and awaiting our inheritance, and that brings us great joy. I don't understand the folks who believe that you can lose this. I don't understand the folks who have zero assurance of their salvation. I don't understand the folks who could undermine God like that and not be confident that the God who saved you and gave his son to die for you on the cross can't keep you to the end. I don't get it. But when we have assurance of salvation, we have great joy despite our present circumstances and no matter what's going on. See, and Peter describes this inheritance that we have in four ways. This inheritance, he says, is imperishable in verse 4. And that means that it's immortal, it's indestructible, it can never die, it can never be destroyed. He says that it's undefiled. That means that it's untainted. It's pure. It's absolutely free from contamination. It's unable to be ruined. Now he says that it's unfading. That means that it's enduring. That means that it's going to look just as new today as it will in 10,000 years. And he says that it's kept in heaven for you. So it's the, the, the original language is, is pointing to um, God watching over this, guarding this, observing it. So it's God physically and spiritually watching over and guarding our salvation. And who can trump God? Who can trump God? I don't know about you, but the, 
This is the inheritance that I want. I mean, if you gave me a 78 Ford, I'd take it right now, but I'm, if I had to trade it in, I wouldn't trade it in, man. I'd trade, I wouldn't trade it in for no earthly inheritance. I want this inheritance that we're talking about. I want my inheritance with God in heaven that's imperishable. What great joy that brings, knowing that our inheritance is certain and it's true and it's sure. We don't have to worry about losing our inheritance because of something that we've done or because we haven't done enough to earn it. No, our inheritance is based on everything that he's done and everything that he is doing. He's done it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. This is what Peter wanted them to know. As you're being persecuted, rejoice in your living hope that is kept in heaven for you. Rejoice in an imperishable inheritance that's waiting. Rejoice in these light afflictions that don't really matter because heaven's going to be so much greater. So as we go through life here on earth as Christians, it's vital to know that we're guarded and that we're protected by God. It's vital to know that our inheritance is safe and it's sound. It's vital to know uh, that he's got this under control. So fear not men, fear not the devil, nor the world that they may kill the body, but they cannot destroy the soul, as Jesus said. And Paul says we may be hard-pressed, might be struck down, but might be afflicted, but we are never destroyed. Say amen. We can rejoice no matter what we encounter. We can rejoice every day, number three, because we are guarded by the power of God. Because we are guarded by the power of God. Let's look at verse five. Who, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up there at verse, uh, kept in heaven for you, verse four. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So far in this section of scripture, we've seen God's mighty hand in salvation shown and proven. We've seen this word, this other $20 word that we're not going to go into today, but we've seen monergism displayed at its finest, meaning that God is responsible for saving uh, all in all. And that he does this work by himself. We've seen God at work. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He rose Jesus from the grave. He has given us an inheritance and is keeping it in heaven for us. I messed up. Let's read that again. We've seen God at work. And I want to point this out. All the he and all the his is. Uh, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He rose Jesus from the grave. He has given us an inheritance and is keeping it in heaven for us. And then here we are in verse 5. We're guarded by the power, uh, who, who's by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. For some of you, you might be saying, hey, there it is, there's that word faith. Absolutely, there it is. What would it be of God if he did all of this only to, be, uh, only to leave us fending for ourselves against our adversary? What would it be of God if he causes us to be born again only to leave us fighting a battle that we couldn't win to begin with? Left to our own, we would be utterly destroyed. Left to our own, we would utterly destroy our salvation in a fraction of a second after receiving it. If I just got saved here today, left to my own, I would walk out the doors and I would be lost in a matter of minutes. Left to our own, we would trade our, our crown of righteousness for sinful pleasures, as one old dead guy wrote. Uh, we would revoke our adoption as sons and daughters of God, only to live in a house of children of the devil. We would do that because it's in our depraved nature to do so. If it wasn't for God... So what kind of God would he be if he couldn't persevere us to the end? If, if God could not hold fast his saints while they're in this world, then he would be no God at all. And that's the question that's at stake here. What kind of God would he be if he couldn't keep us? And as I said, he wouldn't be God at all. So let me reassure you this morning. The God that we serve is almighty. Amen. The God that we serve is all supreme. 
The God that we serve is unstoppable. The God that we serve is undefeated. The God that we serve is all-powerful. The God that we serve, uh, he, he is the author of creation. He created all things. I mean, the galaxies, the stars, the little specks of matter, your DNA, everything. He's created life in the oceans. He's told the oceans that you can go no further than this. He puts every star in the sky. Uh, the God that we serve is the God of the Exodus, who, who delivered his people, Israel, out of the hands of Egypt, out of their bondage, and part of the Red Seas and fed them uh, throughout the deserts uh, by the uh, by manna from the sky and quail on the ground and water from the rock. The God that we serve is the God of resurrection who resurrected his son uh, from the dead after three days. And the God that we serve is the God who will throw Satan in the abyss at the end of all this. It's this power, the power of God that's guarding us through faith in Christ. The power of God who created everything. The power of God who parted the Red Seas. The power of God who raised his son from the dead. The power of God who can take Satan and put him in the abyss with all of his angels. That's the power of God that's guarding us through faith in Christ. And so the text doesn't say, because people believe this, the text doesn't say that if you have enough faith, God will will guard you. The text says that we are being guarded through faith. So God is already guarding us through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. And what is faith? Faith is not believing despite the evidence or believing without proof. No, faith is a complete trust in something or someone. Faith is a complete trusting in God as He has proven Himself, as He's manifested Himself, as He's shown Himself to be over and over and over again. And I want you to remember... A mustard seed of faith brings forth salvation. A small amount will bring forth a salvation. As Hebrews says, can anybody quote that scripture for me? I'm losing it off the top of my head. About faith is not, what is faith? Help me, Joanna. Hebrews chapter 10. Faith is, help me here. I had it on my head. We're not moving forward till I read this. Or somebody says it. Faith is the evidence of... Say it. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for but not seen. So although we may not see the things that are, that are um, in store for us, although we may not have ever seen Jesus, although we, we may have, have, um, have, have not ever tasted or seen of, of heaven or what's in store for us, this is what we hope for, this hope that I've been preaching to you over this, uh, over this sermon so far. Remember, a mustard seed of faith brings forth salvation, and it's this faith is given to us as a gift from God. In Ephesians 2 and verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of your own doing, it's a gift of God. And from there, uh, from the, the time that God gives us this faith, we grow deeper in our faith as we grow to know him more and we grow to trust him more. And in Colossians chapter 2 and verses 6 through 7, seven teaches us that uh, we have received Christ to, to walk in him, to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. So maybe you sit here today and you say, man, my joy isn't complete. I'm not rejoicing in my salvation. Then I would say to us, let us remember what Jesus has done. Let us remember what God has done and let us remember and trust and that will bring us some joy. So every time that we're down, if we stop to reflect on who God is and what He's done and what He has in store for us, it'll turn our frown upside down. That was funny, guys. Laugh. (laughs) And this is exactly what... uh, what Peter has in mind in the following verses as we get ready to close. I mean, I still got a few pages, but in our conclusion, in this, in spite of everything that we've heard, in this rejoice. Verses 6 through 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In this, rejoice. Because we have a living hope, 
because we have an inheritance that's imperishable, because we've been guarded or we're being guarded by the power of God, let us rejoice. Because Jesus paid it all, let us rejoice. If you punched in everything that we've heard in between verses 3 and 5, if you punched all of that into a calculator as a mathematical equation, it would come up rejoice. That's what it would equal. And I want us to think back. I want us to think back to the mercy of God, to the justice of God as he sent his son Jesus Christ to die in our place. As he was beaten, as he was, he was rejected, he was betrayed, he was, he was beaten, he was whipped. He was treated like a criminal who was innocent. A, th- a crown of thorns placed on his head, blood dripping from his head, his body torn apart, torn uh, open. And, and the Bible says that he was beyond beaten beyond recognition. A heavy wooden cross laid on his back to carry it to Calvary, placed between two thieves for the whole world to see with nails in his hands and in his feet. Think back at the mercy of God and the justice of God as he sent his son Jesus to do that. Think back at the willingness of Christ as he prayed in the garden. You know, God, if you can take this cup from me, take it from me. But yet not my will, but yours be done. Think back to that devotion and that obedience. And then think back to the power of God as he rose him from the grave. Think back to when he caused you to be born again. The day that it happened. The season that it happened in. Think back to the miracle that happened that day. Think back to the joy that it brought you when you were hit with the freight train of salvation. Think back and remember what God has done and trust who He is and know that He will continue to persevere you to the end and allow it to produce joy despite your present circumstances. So what are these various trials that Peter's talking about in verse 6? So for the Christians, uh, you know, back then, these Christians... The various trials were very severe. Persecution from the Roman emperor for their faith. They were dispersed, cut off from their homeland. They were scattered. They were exiled. They were alienated, separated from their family. They were chased down. They were beaten. They were flogged. The list continues. For us today, that can still happen. I know of one missionary um, who was in Western Africa, and and he was telling us a story and as, and as he, uh, you know, he went into a village, he evangelized and these kinds of things. Lots of people were being saved. It was an amazing, awesome work of God. He went back home to the States. The people, the priests who were killing, uh, sacrificing babies on, on rocks atop of these big mountains had came back into the place uh, where the Christians were, the village. They were very upset, very mad with them. And they dispersed them. They captured some Christian kids. They killed the kids. But these these uh, natives called that missionary, told them what happened. Hey, they have came into the village. They've scattered us. They dispersed us. We're scattered abroad. They've killed 12 of our kids. You know, the story goes on. And the missionary says, oh my gosh, what can I do to help you? And he said, can you send us some beans and some blankets? Because other than that, we'll be fine. My gosh. So that still can happen. It's still happening in other places other than America today. That's so why this tribulation is real and it's, and it's evident to those that are in India and China and in Africa and places like that. But for us today, the various trials could be spiritual warfare from the devil, right? We forget that, you know, although the devil's not as strong as the Lord, he is still pretty mighty, right? And then in Jude, he, he tells us that... Uh, that Michael, the archangel, dared not even speak a word against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So we have to remember that he is strong and he is mighty. So there's this spiritual warfare. It could be our various trials. It could be sin that's just crushing us, that we refuse to give up this place that we love, this darkness that we love so much. We're just kind of hanging on to it, white-knuckling it. We're, we're just stuck in sin and we're under conviction. So this could be a very tri- various trial that we're in. Some of us could be persecuted for our faith, and that persecution could come from within our own homes, from within our own family. Be persecuted for our faith at work, persecuted for our faith in school, and they could tell you, hey, we're going to let him pray to Muhammad, or we're going to let her pray to Buddha, but we're not going to let you pray to Jesus. There's some sense of persecution that happens. 
Various trial could be within your own family. Could be friends. Very common various trial is sickness. Could be death. You know, somebody near and dear to you that's died is a very serious various trial. You could have just got a diagnosis this week that you're not going to make it for another couple weeks. And you don't know what to do with yourself. It could be a various trial that you're in. But I want you to remember that these trials, every single one of them, produce purity. These trials grow us deeper in faith as we trust God more and more again and again. And, and I, another old dead guy had said that faith that hasn't met the fire is, youth, is useless faith. Thomas Watson wrote that no vessel can be made of gold without fire, so it is impossible that we should be made vessels of honor unless we are melted and refined in the furnace of affliction. The affliction Although it sucks at the moment, the trials we're going through sting and they hurt and they cause us to weep and be depressed and whatever it might be. I know that they hurt, but they're not for with no purpose. This morning, we must not look at our afflictions and look at our various trials as bone crushing, as as crippling, as joy sucking, grim events. We must see them for what they are and we must rejoice they're intended to bring us to worship. They're intended to bring us to worship. The diagnosis of cancer is intended to bring us to worship to, our, to the feet of Jesus. The, the prison sentence that's looming over your head is intended to bring you to worship the feet of Jesus. The devil putting his foot in your throat over the last month is intended to bring you to worship. The troubles within your family or with your friends are intended to bring you to worship. As we go through the fire, let us remember that we have a living hope, that we're kept by the power of God, and that we are anticipating the, re- the revelation of our Savior. And let us rejoice. John Piper said, and I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, and man, it's so stinking beautiful. There's a song by Shane and Shane called Though You Slay Me. And in it, it's, it's Sermon Jam, right? And they put John Piper at the beginning of this Sermon Jam. And John Piper's giving this dialogue before the song. And the way that the song and his sermon go hand in hand is just mind-blowing. And in this, John Piper says that every millisecond of your pain, from fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience to God is producing a peculiar weight of glory that you will get because of it. It's not worthless. It's not for no purpose. It has a meaning behind it. It is meant to produce purity and worship. As we stand before the throne of God, we're going to see that everything that we ever went through was worth it. The mental health, the struggles with our mental health, the, the sicknesses, the battle with addiction, the persecution, the being made fun of, the being bullied, the putting our necks on the line to plant a church. It was all worth it. All the struggles and hardships that came with it was worth it. Today, as we continue to face various trials, as we go through life, our only hope is in Christ We go through all of this with joy in our hearts because one day we're going to see Jesus face to face. One day we're going to be able to look in the eyes of our Savior who died on the cross for our sins. One day we're going to be able to stand in the presence of God where there's no need for a light, no need for a lamp for the sun because His glory is going to radiate heaven. Amen? Man, we do this all with joy in our hearts because one day we're going to be there. Back to the way that God intended it to be. That's our hope. And as we fix our gaze to heaven, knowing that he has not only purchased our salvation, but that he's also keeping it safe for us, we find rest. We find peace. We find comfort. We can rejoice. So this morning, I challenge us to quit living as if we can add anything to our salvation. Joanna, you can come up now if you want. I challenge us to to rest from thinking as if we must stay in good graces in order to be saved. I need to say that again for myself. This morning I challenge us to quit living 
as if we can add anything to our salvation. I challenge us to rest from thinking as if we must stay in good graces and be the most obedient little boy or little girl in order to be saved. It isn't a performance. It's not a performance. Because Christ has done all the work necessary. He's called us to be faithful and that's it. We can experience the greatest joy on earth when we understand and rest in these verses that we've read here today. Assurance of our salvation, knowing that God began the work and will finish the work, brings us great joy. Knowing that soon, very soon, Christ will be revealed to us, brings us great joy. So church, this morning, we can rejoice no matter what we face, no matter what our current circumstances are, no matter what afflictions we're going through, we can rejoice this morning because we have a living hope, because we have an imperishable inheritance, because we're guarded by the power of God. So as Russ Davidson says, keep the sun in your eyes, keep the S-O-N in your eyes, and rejoice in your salvation today. Let's pray. Father, I love you. God, I love you. So grateful, God, that you would send your son to die on a cross for me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything to deserve it. You looked upon me in my poor, helpless state and you said, I'm choosing you. And you adopted me. And you brought me into your family, not because of anything I've ever done or any, any talent I had or anything I would ever do, but because you chose me. You loved me. You had mercy on me. And the same is true for these folks here in this room and for those out there in the world, God. So, Father, I just pray that we would come to depths with the hope that is revealed in the gospel. That we would come to terms with that. Even if we're saved, the gospel doesn't ever get old. Our hope of heaven never gets old. So, God, I just pray that you'd help us to do business with you this morning even. That we could come here to these invitation steps and we could pray. That we could help this truth just sink in. And we could say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has caused us to be born again. That God, I pray that we would never get over the fact that we are saved. So Father, I pray that you'd minister to our hearts during this time. And, and help us to, to just not stay in this room with that truth. But take this truth out into Omaha. Out back to the places where we live, work, or play. That we could help others come to have a hope that we have. So God, I just pray that you'd use us in a mighty way as a church. We, we know that you'll be faithful to us, God, as we're faithful to you. Pray these things in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship.